Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are in Chapter 7 of the podcast talking about meta-theory, that is, proving properties about our typed programming languages and type theories. And we've talked about type preservation uh, and progress as constituents of the property known as type safety. And this is the sort of thing that's absolutely bread and butter for typed programming languages, meta-theory, and also important for type theories, too. Uh, And we also talked about normalization, which is uh, not a property that is usually considered for programming languages, um, with the exception of strong functional programming, which I'm advocating and trying to uh, resuscitate. But uh, for type theory, it's quite essential, as we've spoken about for several episodes now. And I want to talk about one other meta-theoretic property, uh, which is confluence. This is, again, something that's of interest for type theories, but probably not for most programming languages or really any programming languages, except maybe some exotic, you know, like a dependent Haskell or something like that maybe cares about something like this. But uh, this is something that is of interest for type theory. And I realized after I talked about this uh, question of conversion checking by normalization, I realized that actually there's a confluence is an important ingredient of that. And so sorry for that omission an episode or two back. I should have mentioned this then, I think. But anyhow, I mention it now, which is, so confluence, let's, we wanna, let's review, I think I've mentioned what this property is, but let's, let's say again what the property is, and we'll sort of try to explain why this is important uh, for conversion checking in type theory. So confluence uh, is a property, well, originally it was formulated and proved, I think that to my knowledge, this is the earliest uh, consideration of the property for lambda calculus by Church and Rosser, his student, Barclay Rosser, who gave us a number of um, cool uh, contributions, including some of more efficient definitions of addition and multiplication for, uh, and even exponentiation for Church-encoded numbers uh, as one of contribution that I, I personally make use of or know of. But uh, anyhow, the confluence property uh, they, they studied it in a slightly different form, which is equivalent to the one I'm going to describe. Uh, and some people still distinguish the Church-Rosser property from confluence, but they're, um, they are easily proved to be the equivalent. So the confluence property uh, says, so suppose you have some terms, a program expression, and here it's, you know, to even have, a, to have any kind of non-trivial question of confluence, you need to have a non-deterministic language. So your some form of non-determinism. So your reduction semantics can't always be saying exactly what to do next because confluence is about when you have two choices about what could, you could do next. So you need to have some choice in what happens next when you're evaluating a term. And so in lambda calculus, you have such a choice because you could pick a redex that is a reducible expression, which is a lambda abstraction applied to an argument, you could your term could be full of redexes. It doesn't have to just be one in there. There could be many of them here and there. And in lambda calculus, just pure untyped lambda calculus, you can choose which one you want to reduce next. Uh, and I mean, we could give examples of this, but over the air, it's going to be a little hard to, to grok what I'm saying for that. So let's just just understand that, sure, just imagine some program expression that's got function call here, another function call there, function calls inside function calls and inside bodies of lambdas. All those things are redexes. They're all fair game in pure 
lambda calculus to be reduced. And so there's non-determinism right there because there's nothing in the operational spinx tells you which redex to pick next. Now, for you know, in functional programming languages, you pick, you have some reduction strategy which tells you which redex to do next. It says, out of all this soup of redexes, this before you, you always need to do this one next. And you know, there's some some recipe or pattern description for which one you should do next. Uh, and again, we this is something we could talk about, but I think I I won't talk about it right now because it'll distract us from the idea of confluence, which doesn't really depend on details of, which definitely doesn't depend on details of reduction strategies. It's just, we have some non-deterministic reduction. I could reduce this way or that way. And I mean, and you know, Lambda Calculus is one example. We certainly have other languages, you know, features, other language features where there's non-determinism. Um, you could simply have some kind of non-deterministic choice operator in your language, like just non-deterministically do this or that. Um, sometimes, you know, people propose languages that actually have like a backtracking semantics where you say, try, try path one. If that doesn't work out, please come back and try path two. You know, so you, you can imagine this. Um, that's actually, well, funnily enough, I guess that would actually be a way to determinize a non-deterministic reduction. So, so then that, that would not, confluence would not be really directly at issue there either. So we really need non-deterministic reduction where the Reduction semantics doesn't tell you what to do next. It gives you some choices. Okay, so Confluence says, if you've got this term and following one set of choices, you can reduce it for some finite number of steps to one expression. And alternatively, following a different set of choices, you could reduce it to some other expression. Then there has to be some way, not every way necessarily, but some way, one of, one of many possible choices perhaps, to get those two points that you reached from your original starting term back to a common point, okay? Um, so starting at a, a term T, you reduce out to T1 and T2, and there must be some term, you know, T3 that you can get T1 and T2 to join up at, okay? And in fact, joining, people talk about joining T1 and T2, it means reducing them to some common point. Uh, so, um, and you know, that, so that's kind of a nice, it's a pretty simple mathematical definition. Um, just for sort of like more intuitive analogies, if that's kind of like not quite resonating with you listening to this, just imagine I'm going for a walk in the woods, okay? And I reach, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's here, it's early spring, um, could be an okay time for a walk in the woods here. Uh, it's a rather gray and cloudy day in Iowa today, but um, not, not a bad time of year for a walk in the spring. We'll start to get some wildflowers in a month or something maybe, but anyhow, uh, so I'm, at some, I'm going on into some trail and I get to this point. Or there's a branch in the trail. I could go left or I could go right. Okay, now confluence is the property that no matter which of those paths I choose, there's going to be some way to get back, to have them meet up again later on. All right, so if I, if I was just like with some somebody and I was kind of like, hey, why don't you go right? I mean, I, this is not a very sociable <laughs> approach to hiking, but I could be like, okay, why don't you go right? I'm going to go left. And looking on this map here, we see that we could both meet up at this overlook, you know, wherever over here. Okay, and so we both go out, and then we can meet back up. Okay, now the confluence property says um, no matter where. So it's actually a little. We have to be careful. It's a little stronger than what I just sort of suggested. So if I go left and right, no, no matter where we wander off to, there is some way to come back. Okay, um, and on hiking because hiking. Uh, at least on most of the trails that I would dare attempt is usually a. Um, a symmetric uh, relation. So if I hike 
from here at A to B, I, I can also hike from B to A. I mean, I can imagine some terrain scenarios where that's not the case, uh, but that's way outside my uh, skill level and interest level. But, um, you know, so, so really you're going to have confidence anyway, because I could walk down the trail and say, hey, I don't want to go there anymore and just turn around and walk back. Okay. But let's pretend you can't turn around for some reason. You're only going forward. Then confidence says, no matter where you get to, there has to be some way to join these things back up. Okay. And again, it's just some way. You might, there might be other ways that take you wandering off again, you know, uh, and, and, and don't join back up. But no matter where you wander off to, so if you do take some other path that makes you wander a different place, you still have to be able to come back or else that, that particular um, place in the trail where you branched off is not a confluent branching point. So you can speak about individual, you know, to come back to programming expressions from, from trails, you could speak about individual terms being confident. Like this term, no matter what, how you reduce it, uh, you can always bring those reductions. You can always join the, the resulting terms back up. And your whole language is confluent or some set of terms is confluent or whatever you want to generalize to uh, if each term in there is confluent. So you usually speak about a confluent. Like untyped lambda calculus is confluent. No matter what lambda calculus term you pick, um, if you're dealing with arbitrary uh, reduction where you can pick any redux you want, then every term is confluent. No matter what term you pick, no matter where you go out from that term, you must be able to join back up again. And that's you can prove that. And that's an example of a metatheoretic property uh, of, a, of a programming language, or, you know, in this case, it's true for, you know, for again, for lambda calculus, it's true just for untyped lambda calculus. We don't need typing information at all to make this thing, this property be true, uh, which makes it a, you know, really basic kind of powerful property in some ways. Um, and uh, so, um, the yeah, so this is true for, uh, lambda calculus, and there's, the proof of this fact is interesting. Um, it's not really one I'd probably manage to talk through on the air, although it might be worth saying a few things, saying a few words about how this kind of proof could go. But I want to conclude here, as I'm just getting ready to park, um, that uh, in, in sort of saying how this is used for conversion checking. So as I said before, conversion checking, you know, the, the algorithm that, mo you know, a very standard approach to conversion checking for terms is to say, take my two terms, and just reduce them to normal form and then check whether those normal forms are just sort of like obviously the same, like basically syntactically identical, um, uh, maybe, you know, allowing the change of, well, definitely allowing change of names of local variables and stuff like that, maybe throwing in eta equivalents or something, um, but basically just reduce and check for sort of obvious syntactic equality. And this approach uh, is, um, is sound and complete for checking whether terms are equal if you have a, a confluent reduction. So because, say I, I take my two terms, if my, if my reduction relation isn't confluent, um, it could happen that different ways of reducing my term would lead to different normal forms. So if I started with my term, I started with I have two terms, I'm trying to check, hey, are these things equal? Because I need this for type checking some other expression with thanks to dependent types. I can have terms in my types. I need to check if they're equal. And so I say, okay, I take these two terms and what if I, I reduce T1 one way and I reduce T2 some way as well. But, you know, again, if we're not confluent, then it, it may matter which, which path I take. Like if I'm, again, this sort of hiking analogy, if my branching point that I'm at in the trail is not confluent, then it makes a pretty big difference whether I go left or right. Uh, and so I might not be able to, you know, so again, coming to hiking analogy, imagine uh, me and my 
buddy are hiking and he's on one trail, I'm on another trail. And we're like, okay, let's try to meet up. That would be like, the you know, having these two terms be convertible, be like, okay, we're going to meet up. Well, if my trail is not confluent, then I could make a bad choice. And it might be that I could have met up with my friend, but I failed to do so because I picked the wrong path. And confluent says that can't happen. You can't fail to meet up because you kind of made a bad choice or an unlucky choice or something about which direction to reduce your term because all all roads are going to lead to Rome. All um, So if you get a, a normal form, that's sort of like a little corollary here. When I start with the term and I reduce it to a normal form, it can't have another normal form that it also reduces to if the relation is confluent, right? Because confluent says, if I started a, ter- a term T, let's say, and I go out to T1 and T2, well, let's say T1 is a normal form, okay? So I start at T, and in one direction I reach a normal form, in the other direction I reach some other point. Well, if it's confluent, I have to be able to join these up. The normal form can't move. <laughs> it's normal. It just sits there. That means that other point I reached must be reducible to that normal form as well. So no matter what path I take, uh, if it's confluent, um, I'm just going to have, I'm going to have at most one normal form. And if it's, if it's a um, normalizing relation, then it says I'm going to have a unique normal form. Because there, normalizing says there is a normal form. Confluence says there can't be multiple normal forms. There might fail to be a normal form, right? I mean, confluence doesn't prevent you from being non-terminating. You might have no normal form at all. But if you have a normal form, then confluence says that's the only one you've got. And so this algorithm where you take your two terms, reduce each to a normal form, well, it'll be their unique normal form. Now you can compare... And if they're equal, then you know the terms are convertible. And if they're not equal, you know the two terms are not convertible. That is, they're not equal in the sort of equational theory uh, induced by your reduction semantics. Meaning, you know, my reduction semantics says you can reduce program A to B. And the equational theory just says, okay, in that case, A and B are equivalent. And so you don't have to worry that you have equivalent terms that you can't tell are equivalent by reduction if you have confluence. Okay, uh, that's well. That was sort of exciting, and I hope not too much of a rush as you're listening to this. Uh, and so, um, thanks again for listening today. And I'll be back pretty near to wrapping up chapter seven here. If you have thoughts or questions um, about what you might like to hear me talk about next, hit me up or post on this um, funny little open, <laughs> completely free forum plugin that I slapped onto the web page. If you go to my personal homepage, Aaron Stump at uh, Computer Science at University of Iowa. Then you will find the page for the, the this commute, uh, this podcast, and you can see a, a little form you can post there, or you can just send me an email. Um, and if I don't hear from people, I will just talk about whatever I feel like, which is what I usually am doing anyway. Um, but I'm open to your suggestions, so let me know if there's something you want me to discuss. I'm sort of kicking around what would I talk about next, and I haven't settled on it yet. Okay, thank you again for listening. Have a good day wherever you are.